Welcome to the Arrow Buddhist Tradition podcast series. The following podcast is from a teaching given by Nocturne Rinpoche in San Francisco in 2009 on the subject of relationship as practice. It is based on a book called Entering the Heart of the Sun and Moon, written by Nocturne Rinpoche and his wife, Contradation. For more information about the Arrow Buddhist tradition, please go to the website at arrowbuddhism.org. If you wish to make a donation to support this podcast project, please go to the section of the website labeled How to Help and select Make a Donation. Thank you. Okay, any questions before we shift this gear? I'm going to talk about the, the elements, the psychophysical elements as Rupesha has introduced. It's, um, it's a vast field but it's important before we start to look at the details to look at how to approach the field of details. It's, we live, I was talking to the gentleman in the back there yesterday about the cultural context we inherit, both religious and now scientific, and scientific perspectives, materialism in one sense, is very much the religion of many people today. It's how we define the world, including the category of mysteries. We assume that there are laws of physics, cosmic orders of things that regulate everything, and even if we don't understand it, we assume that it's just because we haven't discovered the mechanism yet. So we take for granted that there is this order that could all be mathematically described. Or we have a religion which says everything is the will of God or everything is preordained or some other eternalist kind of mechanism where there's an order and it's all figured out and planned out and we just haven't seen the mechanism yet. Yeah? And when, when we look at a body of stuff like we're going to look at here with the elements, with many details and many different aspects, it's very easy for us to slip into an assumption that this is a proscriptive process, and that's not the case. The doctrine of, of the elements in their many different perspectives, because this goes from sutra through tantra, dzogchen, it's, these are observed characteristics of phenomena. And I'm going to give you a little chart now that I made up with a list of different aspects of our experience of the elements. And it's important that everybody swear on their car keys before we start to look at this, that people aren't going to take this home and, and use it as a formula that everything else has to fit into. <laughs> These are observations. And this, this list is really endless. It, it's, 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 it's the complete spectrum of our experience but it's very helpful to split things up and dice them and slice them a little bit in order to learn about them and to see how <coughs> this is a very useful description of our experience and how we can extend our understanding of our experience by looking at our experience in this way. Yeah, any questions? Everybody will swear on their car keys. I'll hand this out. <laughs> Uh-huh.
<laughs> God, never knew that. Like so, no, sorry. <laughs> I have some more. <laughs> Take a minute when you get it to just kind of gaze at it a little bit. Mm -hmm. The elements from Shea listed earth, water, fire, air, and space are across the top. And then the left side is, is the, the realm or the dimension in which the elements manifest in a certain way in our experience. some sort of proscription of how things must be, is that the elements all contain all the elements. They are divided in this way as observed experience, as I said. So as everybody looks like they're getting their hands on this, okay. So the first thing we got to understand is that we've been talking all yesterday about emptiness and form. So look at the first two rows under earth, water, fire, air, and space. We have the form qualities of emptiness and the emptiness qualities of form. They're non-dual. And in the observed manifestation, this five-fold manifestation as the elements, we have earth, the form qualities of emptiness, solid. Yeah? And the emptiness qualities of form, insubstantial, not, not solid in any permanent way, in any um, absolute way. That's what's very important to understand. These are not absolutes. They all contain all the elements. So you look across the first row, the form qualities of the elements, solid, permanent, separate, continuous, and defined. These are all, when we are engaging in this driving engine of samsara, trying to separate emptiness from form, and how hold on to the form, have only form, and get rid of or avoid the emptiness, these are the qualities that we're looking for in our experience. We're looking for things, experiences, titles, um, whatever it may be, situations, relationships that are solid, permanent, separate, continuous, and defined. And and is not the best word because any one of them would do. If you have one, you have them all. We have something that is truly, absolutely solid. It is permanent, separate, continuous, and defined. And that goes for all of them. Now, because of our acculturated human form addiction, the emptiness qualities of form words tend to be just the negation of the form words in many cases. Insubstantial, impermanent, non-separate, discontinuous, and undefined. 
undefined should be expanded there to not only be undefined, but to mean continuously redefined or oblique. Um, there are, as Rupshe was saying yesterday, as we were talking and Zeremy was saying yesterday, about the, um, the four denials, the four philosophical extremes. Like that, these elemental descriptions also describe our experience. They just don't describe it absolutely. There is always emptiness. There is always the other side of any elemental experience. Now, moving down, or any questions so far? There will be, I guarantee you. <laughs> moving down, we start to see more, more tangible, more, more s tangible in terms of our sense fields, and in fact the sense fields are divided among the elements in this, in this view, in this observation as well. We start to see more tangible manifestations of this elemental spectrum of our experience. So in the body, bone and flesh as earth, the liquids, blood and lymphatic fluid as water, the warmth um, that we generate, that digests our food especially, as fire, breath as air, and alertness or awareness, just the capacity of being able to perceive, not the contents of perception, but the faculty of perception. And we will see, as we go down this little chart, you'll see how many parallels there are and why this is such a useful system in terms of psychology in the tantric sense and in the Dzogchen sense why this is so helpful in terms of understanding and helping to, to uh, tease apart this mass, this unorganized mass of experience that is our lives. Yeah? So the sense fields, touch, taste and smell as water, fire is vision, air is hearing, and space, conceptuality. Uh, it's, it's well known in Western science that taste and smell are quite strongly linked if people that don't have a sense of smell can't taste. And, but it's interesting for us as Westerners to hear that conceptuality could be considered a sense field. Uh, Rinpoche describes looking at a book. You can see the color, you can feel the texture, you can hear the sound of it, you can smell the paper, but there's another sense field which is conceptuality, ideation, which helps us understand another dimension of it. The, um, the, in Buddhism, the intellect has always been considered a sense field rather than what most people, I think, inherit as a view in the West, which is that it is the kind of the charioteer of the senses, the interpreter, the manager, the sifter, the organizer, analyzer of the senses. And, but um, Buddhism considers this function to be a sense field as well. The sense field of being able to conceive objects. Yeah? Now, I'm going to skip over the next two, the primary misconception and emotions slash distorted, distracted, the next three actually, liberated quality. Would you like me to talk about those from Shira or avoid talking about those? 
No, I think it would be okay. good to talk about them actually, because okay. then we could go into some of the vignettes. Okay. But let's let's leave that until we've gone through some of the other ones, the other aspects a little bit lower, because they continue in rather a, a sensory sense. So we have the color of the elements. And these in the world of Tantra and the world of Dzogchen, this is extremely important because we enter into the world of symbol and the world of symbol as method when we talk about this. Every tanka, every mandala is full obviously of color, but the colors mean things in terms of the elements and in terms of the dimensional expression of this big field of meaning. You know, a yidam will have a primary color. And if the yidam is presented in a mandala, then the yidam is in the middle, and their color moves to the middle. And the directions that the other four colors occupy will be shifted to accommodate that. It's, it's very interesting to look at tantric art and um, representations with an understanding of the elements, because it gives you an understanding of the meaning for example, Padmasambhava's color is red. And so this links to a whole field of other meanings. Uh, the fire element, compassion, um, passion, etc., etc. All up and down this fire element column will be some linkages with the color red and why a certain Yidam, Padmasambhava, for example, is, is depicted primarily as red. Any questions yet? Yes. What what is Yeshe Sogyal's color? What is, is Yeshe Sogyal's color? Is she not white? Mm -hmm. Pardon? White. Any other? Yes. What then do you make of the fact that a lot of Tonkas I mean, I'm just sitting here looking at several of them. Aren't any of those colors, they're kind of muted. That's cultural. Is it? It's modern. Um, modern tankas have become increasingly uh, pastel. Mm -hmm. If you look back at the 15th century and before, they were far more vivid. Mm -hmm. So that's just a cultural trend. Mm -hmm. I was under the impression that Yeshet Sogyal had kind of a pink uh, skin color because she was a mixture of the red and the white. Oh, that's another thing. That's another thing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's basically white, uh, Pavas and Baba's red, although they are both pink <laughs> in that <laughs> sense with that mixing. But the, the red aspect is the uh, Buddha family to which they belong. And so the mixing of the red and white bodhicitas to which you're referring applies to both of them. That's another reason why it's important not to take these as, as formulaic absolutes, because, for example, as Carl's mentioning, you know, red and white can represent male, uh, female and male colors, bone and blood, in the tantric system. And mm -hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with elements. Mm -hmm. Okay, so continuing the direction in the inner tantras, 
the elements are given or it is observed that the elements resonate with a direction. Earth, south, water, east. That relates also to a season, autumn, winter, spring, and summer. And each of these times or seasons or colors, time of day, have qualities that um, help us understand that they, the elements are part of our makeup. These are psychophysical elements. And it's not just earthly or metaphysical elements, but psychophysical elements. So they're also related to emotions, and we'll see that when we go back up a little bit higher in this list. Uh, the bottom three are outer tantra, especially very iconographic, symbolic representations that are um, included in teachings, whether it's going to be a sadhana or a tanka, to impart meaning that reflects back on this list of elemental qualities. So we have the symbol of the earth element is the wish-fulfilling gem, the rinchen. Of the water element, the vajra, the indestructible weapon that cuts out all other weapons. Uh, and you can see then reflected qualities of solid, permanent, separate, continuous, and defined appearing again. Um, you may also see as a symbol for example, uh, for the air element, the sword, the elemental symbol of the karma Buddha family. You may also sometimes see a double dorje for that. And we'll talk about that in a second when we go back up the list. Uh, the symbol of the Buddha family is also shown sometimes as a wheel uh, in addition to being a circle. If you look, the space element can have, it has a little, the qualities can be a little bit elusive. It does have an assigned color and um, some other qualities that are as um, clear, clearly delineated as the other elements. But in some aspects, it doesn't have these qualities. It is considered to be at the center and the periphery at the same time. It is the ground from which all the other elements manifest their features. So, you know, the Buddha karma is at the bottom. There are four Buddha karmas, but the space element encompasses and allows them all. Uh, the space element in a, in a mandala will be the blue in the middle unless another Yidam's color, symbolic color, takes primary place in the center, in which case the blue will be moved to that Yidam's normal home station. It's always there, and it's always pervasive. And so it has no problems moving to the position that the primary Yidam vacated to be in the center. Yeah? This is complicated, everybody. Okay? So, moving back up now, we have primary misconception, emotions slash distorted, distracted quality of the elements. The, this in the sutric vehicle, this would be called the kleshas. Or then the liberated quality. And this is where, especially in terms of Dzogchen, we start to look at the psycho 
uh, psychological, emotional, energetic aspect of the elements and their manifestation in us as either distracted qualities, distorted qualities of emotional constriction, or, and this is a, a very important distinction within Tantra, especially Inner Tantra and Dzogchen, these native qualities resident in us and arising naturally in us are aspects, are ornaments of our enlightenment. In the sutric vehicle, it's important to get rid of greed and lust and envy entirely. They have to be purged because the path is a path of renunciation, which means that the goal, liberation, looks like emptiness. But as soon as we embark on tantra, these qualities do not have to be eliminated. They just have to be liberated or purified, transformed in the sense of Tantra, or recognized in the sense of Dzogchen as the spectrum of our enlightened ability and, um, and capacity. So we, we're talking now about what's called the engine of samsara. The primary misconception, and you'll see there in parentheses, the primary misconception of emptiness. When appearance and experience arise, they arise as non-dual form and emptiness. But because of our addiction to form and our aversion to emptiness, the emptiness qualities of form, we try to pull out and home in on the form qualities of emptiness and avoid or suppress the other side, the empty qualities of form. So when experience arises non-dually, we are going to get both of those aspects in our perception. And we will experience the emptiness qualities of form as a problem, as a threat, as something that we need to manage and get rid of. And the process of trying to do that is called samsara. <laughs> it's a losing game of constantly trying to make duality that we're happy with and comfortable with out of non-duality. And it always loses in the end because it's not possible to separate those two aspects of non-dual emptiness and form. When our experiences arise in, within the spectrum of the elements, we experience the earth element or the aspect of our tangibility that we'll call the earth element. We experience things as insubstantial. We mistake the non-duality in terms of the earth element as the insubstantiality of form. And so the next row down, is our um, what we call the coping strategy, the, the mechanism that samsara uses, that we use, to try to make the insubstantial arising of non-dual earth element into one that's solid. That's the top row. So our distorted efforts at maintaining samsara lead to greed, territoriality, pride. There's a whole raft of words that can be used to describe this aspect 
of this flavor, if you will, of trying to make samsara work. You now, when you're saying insubstantiality, is that like lack? Is that a sense of um, just not having? It could be, but even if something's really substantial, it's not going to last. Even if it does last, I don't last. I'm not going to have it forever. If this outlives me, I don't get to keep it. All those are aspects of the insubstantiality of the earth element. That's just in one sense. In another sense, if I turn my back on this, am I sure it's still there? If I leave to go to the bathroom, somebody could come and steal it. It's, it's, it's risky. It's not solid. Yeah, in many ways. There are other things, too, about insubstantiality. You know, it's not whether necessarily whether you die or it dies or someone steals it. It's whether fashion determines it unfashionable. <laughs> then whatever it was worth to you, you still have it, but its value has been taken away. Not maybe in your sight, but in the sight of others. What are you doing with one of those? <laughs> no one has those anymore. We have these. <laughs> so that insubstantiality is quite subtle, you know, because you've still got the damn thing. <laughs> no one's taken it from you, but something has been taken from it that it never had in the first place. Except you thought it did, and now you think it doesn't. You know, so insubstantiality isn't just a concrete affair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just a little, I'm not sure if the coping strategies are, I think they're the form qualities of emptiness. So I put what you were saying were the coping strategies, or you were saying the emptiness qualities of... I've got the coping strategies are what's listed here as emotion slash distorted or distracted quality, kleshas. Oh, way down here. Mm -hmm. Between primary misconception and liberated quality. Oh, there you go. Okay. Thank you. It's another way of saying that. It's it's our mechanism for trying to make the thing, the experience, work for us. Yeah, I get it. I just put okay. it on and so you'll see as we go across here, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this aspect because it's very useful as a practitioner, as a person that doesn't want to go around in fruitless circles anymore. Uh, yeah? So the liberated quality, the quality of the earth element part of our spectrum, when we let go of trying to force things in the sense of the earth element to be solid in an absolute sense, when we allow the earth element to appear in its non-duality, the liberated quality of that part of our spectrum is called equanimity or generosity. We know that form is empty. We know that earth element experience is not solid. And, and when I say experience, the only way we have an object is through experience, is through the sense fields. It is an activity, even if it's a conceptual activity, of saying, well, I own this. The only way we actually have it is as an ongoing sense field activity. Yeah? Because we accept that 
form is empty and that the earth element quality of things and experiences contains both substantiality and insubstantiality, we do not grasp or try to force the earth element to be fixed, to be solid, and especially to be solid in relation to us, because that is always what the samsaric engine is really trying to do, is trying to find something outside of us in this dualistic split that is solid, permanent, separate, continuous, or defined, so that we, in reflection to it, can be that. And therefore not have to be f empty, not have to be impermanent, mm -hmm. undefined or redefined. That that's, that's why this dualism is such a problem. We're always looking in the wrong place, and looking in the wrong place sets up a picture that leads us down the wrong path in terms of trying to fix our situation. Yeah. So, the water element, my personal demon. <laughs> um, so, we start to talk about, and, and you'll see when we go into the vignettes and the, the, the personality spectrum that is really described quite... Um, strongly and poetically and, and um, in great detail in entering the heart of the sun and moon, what Rinpoche is going to go into next, we start to talk about earth element person or earth element man or water element woman. Um, it's, this is also an observation. Nobody is inherently a water element person. But you can see those qualities if you look at someone or if you look at yourself and it may be that something quite clearly predominates. But it's important to remember that all of us have all aspects of all the elements. Nobody is fixed as a fire element man or an air element woman. We all have all aspects. And you can see, even as you watch the functioning, if I would say I'm a water element type of man, even watching the function of the water element, I can see the other elements in action. It's, it's not a formula. It's really important to remember that. Yeah? This is very much how it's approached in outer tantra. I think it's useful to say that um, getting a handle on, uh, you know, uh, in outer tantra empowerments, you throw a flower onto the mandala and it lands on, on whatever, and then you say, oh, you belong to the Padma family, the fire element, and then you'll have these practices. This is very much outer tantra, and so there is a value in thinking of yourself as Padma family. But then in the inner tantras, you don't have that anymore. So this is very much more the perspective from inner tantra, where we're all the elements, and there's no particular value in looking at ourselves as being one thing in that way. But both exist. I'm just pointing this out in case any of you have come across uh, teachings where you can be of one family in that way. But that is simply a method. And the two methods contradict each other, but that's not a problem. Where one is valuable and has a function, then it has a function. Mm -hmm. When you say someone is, again, conditionally at that moment, you know, an mm -hmm. earth element woman or air element man, whatever, it, are you referring to their manifesting of the liberated quality? 
And you also said that, oh, you know, water element, my demon. But mm -hmm. by that, did you mean that something that arises for you is the distorted or distracted quality of the water element? Is that what you mean by the struggling with it? Yes, but not, um, you know, I also see in myself the mechanism of all the other elements, too. People tend to cycle through. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll try this and it doesn't work, and then that gets frustrated. So then it's the mm -hmm. water element, and then we get nervous because we've been here before. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. the air element, yeah. and then we get overwhelmed, so we give up, and that's the space element. Mm -hmm. and then we, then we do it again. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you know, I I certainly find myself, and I, I'm sure all of us can recognize as we start to um, hear a little bit more about these features. Mm -hmm. One of these that will speak to us as, oh yeah, that's what I do most often. When you, I just want to understand how you're referring to it. When you say, again, the conditional air element, sure. something, person, you know, do you mean they, they, they manifest the distorted quality or do you mean they tend to manifest the enlightened quality? We typically oh. see both because we are both. So it's just, it's just when you refer to that person then it's the one in which that element is operating strongly at that moment. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Got it. You know, Thank for you. example, yeah. I notice in myself that I get mm -hmm. irritated, I tend to get aggressive when things aren't going the way I want, but I also have a quality where it's very easy for me okay. to memorize things. Yeah. I have a very good head for memoring, uh, remembering numbers, details, mm -hmm. keeping maps of things in my head, these qualities of clarity, which okay. is the liberated quality of the watermelon element. <laughs> 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 I love that. As an example, yeah. 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 you know, I, I can. Sorry, I, I was talking. I, I was giving a weekend on the elements at the Naropa Institute. When was that? It was quite a few years ago now, and uh, I'd i gone into the neurotic aspect of the fire element, which is lust, desire, and whatever. And I, I, I'd been talking about it for quite a long time, and um, and then I just went on to the uh, air element, the space element, and uh, and uh, and someone said you didn't say anything about the liberated quality of the fire element, and I said, hell, who needs one? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I yeah, which was a joke, of course. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the primary misconception of the water element is that there's a threat. Emptiness appears as a threatening thing or something. And I've got under there specific because if you jump over and look at the air element, it also looks like a certain kind of a threat. But with the water element, the threat is identified. It is that. It is you. It is the loss of X. It is the, the threat that X might happen. Uh, it's, it's clearly obvious what that threat is. This is just a way of seeing. And because we're really clear on exactly what that threat is, we know that if we can destroy that, we are home free. <laughs> and that is the distorted coping strategy of the water element. Aggression and um, destruction, violence, but this can take many forms. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, wild and fiery. It can just be ignoring. 
I do not see you. I no, I no longer notice that which appears to be threatening. We've all seen this kind of behavior in people. We can just negate things that manifest in our attention as a threat. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Old, old saying. You know. But the, as I was talking about when I was kind of using myself as a, an example, the liberated quality is clarity. We see things, we see that in, in its exact fullness of detail. We have a very sharp, clear view of what arises. And, and again, look at the other aspects, you know, dawn and winter when the leaves are off the trees. And uh, in many senses, especially in the north, it will just, things will just be quite black and white. We have dark trees with structure only and white snow. Um, so these qualities are good to explore, look over the list later and um, see how, for example, in one column all the way up and down, these different aspects of the spectrum speak to each other. Yeah? The fire element, the primary misconception is called here isolation. We are separate from that which is going to make everything work out. The emptiness we experience is a gap between the joy and the light and the warmth which is over there, whether it's in the shop window, in the person we desire, in the job we think we're going to need, the title, anything, suit of clothes, car. Uh, it doesn't have to be a physical object. It could just be, you know, um, making a marathon under four hours. You know, any sort of possession, if we feel separated from it, this is, this is a, an aspect of the fire element. If we are obsessed or um, quite, um, we're really sure that this is the thing that's going to do it. Yeah? And so we spend a lot of energy and a lot of attention trying to join with this, this thing or this situation or this person. And the way that it doesn't work is that as soon as we get it, it's part of us. And so it disappears. It's empty again. And we have to look for the next thing, the next experience with which we will join and therefore make it work. Is that speaking to you? Do people see that mechanism in themselves? Can you say this was um, what you were just talking about was connected to the distorted or distracted quality of fire, lust, obsession? Yes. That you were just talking yes. about? So that desire, that obsession like of, of or lust for something, <coughs> and then as soon as we get it, it's incorporated into the eye, so then there's emptiness again in that place of that's right. The obsession. It's important to see how in all of these, as again as the engine of samsara, how the dualistic split itself 
sets up the guarantee that we won't be satisfied by the result we think we need. Yeah? If we set up that getting that, which is out there, is going to make it all work and everything will be solid, permanent, separate, continuously defined, by getting it, it's destroyed because we've set up that we have to be in reflection to it as we've set it up in our dualistic vision. Yeah? Ideally, you always have to be on the verge of getting it. <laughs> Just about to get it is where you really want to be. <laughs> like being first in line. <laughs> like being first in line. I once heard a comedian do a thing about how it's so great when you're first in line, or you're next when you're yeah. next, because mm -hmm. you're, you can be, you like, you'll be, ne you can let someone else go yeah. in front of you, and then you're still, you'll still be next. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and so the liberated quality, the, the enlightened part of the spectrum, is is compassion. We have this connection with others, and not only other people, but all aspects of the experiences of our sense fields, the ornaments of our liberation. Yeah. We communicate with that which enters our perception. This, this is, in the inner tantras and Dzogchen, compassion is not just um, building houses for habitat for humanity although that's very worthwhile to do. Compassion is the communication, the, the blissful movement of every aspect of the sense fields. This is compassionate. So that distinction between building houses for Habitat for Humanity, is that, would that be more about generosity than versus compassion? Well, if you build a house for someone, that's very communicative. Well, you have it, the, um, I'm looking at the two liberating qualities between earth and fire, between generosity and compassion, and I'm trying to understand well, even, the difference. Even generosity in the sense of the inner tonsures or Dzogchen doesn't necessarily mean building a house. It means that you are enriched by everything you experience, and then therefore you are able to give that such as is your capacity to everybody else, including wishing that all beings have everything they desire. So, for example, if it looks better that you have this than me, then I, I have no obstacle to wishing that you have it. What's the difference between that and compassion? Well, because we, you have to understand the vast definition of compassion in terms of the inner tantras and Dzogchen. It's, it's way, 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 infinitely more than wishing people well. Which is more like generosity. Yes, but also generosity is a native quality of the sense fields and of enlightened mind in terms of the elements, not just the activities that you do. Generosity is a little more relaxed than compassion. Compassion is, uh, there's a lot more excitement going on with compassion. 
you know, with uh, generosity, things are just moving to where they should go, because it's the wisdom of equanimity and equality. But compassion is uh, combustible. There's a lot of excitement going on there. The result might also be um, generosity, because these wisdoms are not actually separate. So the more you look at them, you know, the more they mingle with each other, and the less easy it is to tease them apart. So I, I think the confusion you're having around this is a really good thing, because you're confusing them, and they should be confused. You know, generosity and, co and compassion should be confused with each other, because they're not separate. We really talk about them as separate in order to understand them. So from our position of being within the dualized states, we have to work at them separately in order to understand them and in order to, to let go of the separation between them mm -hmm. and enter into a vision where there is no separation. But we can't approach it like that. You couldn't get hold of it. Uh, this is reflected in all kinds of ways in terms of practice in Dzogchen where something is particularized. This is the focus. It's the white eye. It's this, it's that, it's the other. It's within the sense field. It's within the eyes, the ears, the whatever. You could just say find presence of awareness in the dimension of reality. But that's too vast. You, you can't do anything with that. It just, it's just overwhelming. So you have to say, you know, it's within the vision I'm working. It's within sound. But ultimately, you don't have to separate any of that out. But at this point, we're looking at compassion as if it were separate from generosity. It's, it's not, of course, but in order to understand it, we have to explore it in isolation from a dualistic point of view.